Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, yes! Welcome to Manchester United, Anthony Martial! Wonderful run from Hello, Happy New Year, welcome to 2017 and all that. Welcome to another episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Uh, we're in the third day of the year only and we've already had refereeing controversy and a win following straight on from New Year's Eve against Middlesbrough. This time it's West Ham United 2-0 in the Premier League at the London Stadium. It might be 2017, but Marcus Rashford is still brilliant as ever. We've got your usual youth and loan review as always, as well as looking ahead to the FA Cup third round against Yapstam's Reading on Saturday. Uh, Jack, the best, the best unbeaten run since the Ferguson era, 2011, I think it was, um, in the Premier League for United, 11 matches, um, and it wasn't pretty on Monday against West Ham, but it'll have to do, and to be honest, it certainly will do, won't it? 100%, it's really good run of form recently, as you said, definitely not our prettiest win of the season, first half especially, we were pretty dire, honestly, it was pretty painful to watch at times. Even with when West Ham went down to ten men, we just couldn't create anything except that chance that Valencia and Lingard somehow managed to mess up between them. I'm still not quite <laughs> sure how that didn't, didn't go in between the two of them. Um but then the second half was much better. Credit to Mourinho, his substitution made a big difference in the game. Rashford and Matter coming on, moving Carrick back to centre back. I think he uh Mourinho can take a lot of credit for that win yesterday. He really did help change the uh change the shape of the team. And really changed change the pace of the game. He made a stretch first time a lot more in behind, which is something that we, we weren't able to do in the first half. So, uh, 
a satisfying win, not our best, but our recent record against West Ham is pretty terrible, so very happy to escape out of East London with a win. Yeah, we we haven't done brilliantly at Upton Park. First time at the the London Stadium, which is a, a truly awful ground. And and the first half was like I think the first half was probably the most rubbish we've looked for since probably September or October. And and perhaps even worse than that, playing against ten men at West Ham, the atmosphere was a bit dead apart from any time Phil Jones touched the ball and we were truly dreadful. I think there was a lot a lot of um, shades of the Van Hal we were actually in that first half. There was a lot of the ball, not much yeah. penetration, all all very tidy, just we we never seemed to be able to get into the box and that was one of my first thoughts when after about twenty, thirty minutes of the game was this is like watching Man United of the last three yeah. seasons. And and I was looking at the the stats the possession between the red card, which was about fifteen minutes ago. I mean it might even have been on fifteen minutes and half time. Seventy one percent possession, one shot on target. Second half, sixty four percent possession and five shots on target. That was that was just the very basic difference. And Mourinho does deserve a huge amount of credit because and he brought he brings on Juan Mata at half time. Um for Matteo Damian. It seems a an odd substitution and then you've got another um odd one later on. Um and Rashford comes on, I think it's the fifty eighth minute or something, but it's not just the, the personality change because because they had ten men and they were sitting back so much, the middle of that pitch was so crowded. So you had Mikitarian, Carrick, Herrera, Pogba, Zlatan who was dropping deep as, as Zlatan does when he when he's not getting enough of the ball because he can clearly do it better than anyone else. You've got those uh, what is that? Those five plus Jesse Lingard, they're all falling over each other. Um and it's why Marino's changes are so important. It's not just about personnel. So Mata replaces Darmian, who was playing ridiculously deep anyway. Um, completely pointless that he was so deep. On the other wing, you saw Antonio Valencia was getting much further up the pitch and unsurprisingly, we were much more effective on that side until Rashford came on. Um, and because Darmian's playing even deeper, you've got you've probably got seven of our 10 outfield players playing within about 25 metres of each other. So... Matter coming on at half time, Carrick drops into centre back, so he's virtually got another central midfielder, but he's forced to be much deeper because of position. So that opens up space for Herrera and Pogba. Zlatan gets more chances, so he doesn't drop deep anymore. And and then you Carrick is allowed to come back in later on. Um and Mikatarian is off for Chris Morning. But because Mikatarian's then gone off, Carrick comes back up and Mikatarian's usually playing in that space anyway. So it it was all about just allowing our players time on the ball because West Ham players were allowing us time on the ball it's just that we weren't giving ourselves time on the ball that's that's why Marino's changes deserve more credit than simply it's matter and Rashford it was it was much more than that and you saw it later as well when uh he brought on Chris Smalling which some people weren't too pleased about but he said afterwards um I knew Andy Carroll was coming on or I knew that Billich was going to bring Andy Carroll on in a couple of minutes so I may as well get Smalling on there first substitutions recently have been brilliant for Marino Mourinho's changes were the the defining moment of the game, I think, other than the red card, um, which I think the less we say about the better, honestly. Um, but yeah, it was it was strange in the first half because Jesse Lingard, despite his pace and, and how well he can run behind, he just seems to want to come in come in uh, inside all the time. And you have Mkhitaryan on the other side doing the, doing exactly the same thing, plus a three man midfield, plus Ibrahimovic, as you said, who, who was trying to come deep himself. It was it was just getting ridiculous at times. There were just too many people in the uh, in the middle of the pitch. We had no options out wide, 
and Valencia and Damian were still a little bit reluctant to um, to run too far forward for fear of the counter attack. Um, and I think Mourinho's substitution just gave him one a bit more freedom to kind of play the role that they that they wanted to, and it allowed us to stretch West Ham. Rashford's first involvement, I think, was a long ball played over the top in behind Northlight that Rashford ran onto, kept the ball on, kept the ball on, and we started an attack. Nothing ended up coming from it, but it just gave a sense of what was to come. And Rashford's substitution, I think Rashford especially, Matter obviously played a huge part as well getting his goal, and he was very good when he came in. I think Rashford especially just, he got West Ham's defenders having to turn and run back towards their own goal, which is not something that we we forced him to do once in, in the first half. Um, and through doing that, it just creates so much more space in the field. It forced West Ham to play a deeper line because the first half they've been playing an extremely high line, which they've done very well, actually. They've caught it behind each side for quite a few times. And they were just squeezing up. They were compacting the middle of that pitch. And once Rashford came on, they realised they couldn't do that anymore because Rashford was is just too fast. And he, and he, if they played such a high line, Rashford would have been getting in, in behind one-on-one against the keeper every time he played a full season. So... Mourinho's substitution deserve a lot of credit. It also wasn't, there's no surprise to me that as soon as Paul Pogba begins to play well in the second half, the whole team goes through it. Um, he really does make the team tick, and I think he may not always get a goal or an assist, but his importance to our team at the moment can't be understated, honestly. He, he really is the, the driving force in, in midfield and behind everything that we do well in a game, honestly. Um, and that, that may seem like an exaggeration, but I honestly don't think it is. He really is that important to our team at the moment. If, if Pogba plays well, the whole team's levels just go up enormously. Um, and the first half was probably the worst I've seen him play in months. And the second half, he stepped it up to the levels that we've seen him play recently. And it was no surprise to me that the rest of the team benefited from that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Everyone was playing poorly in that first half during the darts last night, which was brilliant. Um, but still, I, I was looking at Pogba's stats last night. Most touches... Most aerial duels, most dribbles, the most fouled play on the pitch, the most tackles, the second most passes to behind Carrick, um, and those two had the most passes out of anyone on that day in the Premier League. You, you can. I was watching the game with a Spurs fan, and he was saying Pogba hasn't really done it yet. No, you you just haven't watched him enough, because <laughs> that just makes it so clear that he's behind everything good we do. He is the most influential player on the pitch. Even though it was Matter and Rashford that that were the changes made, as I said earlier, it it gave Pogba more space, which means you've virtually got an extra player because Pogba, like Kante last season, is the equivalent of two players for United. He's that good. Um, uh, yeah, that uh, forgetting the first half, it was all right, but the the defending at times was <laughs> shambolic. The, the space for Michaelo Antonio with that chance just before we scored was appalling. And it was, what made it even worse was Valencia played him onside and then came back to try and play the offside trap two seconds after Antonio had got through and was one on one with the hair. Oh. Valencia steps back to try and get onside. Terrible. Um, yeah, it was, uh, that, that was not a good moment. I, that, that reminded me a lot of, um, I think, was it when we played Arsenal in the FA Cup? Oh. Um, a couple of seasons ago when, when Welbeck scored Valencia did exactly the same thing for one of the goals there um, he just played someone on sides and he, he he's eradicated that out of his game this season actually it's the first real defensive mistake we've seen from him um, and hopefully it will remain an anomaly but yeah that was shambolic defending and, he, and an equally shambolic finish I think it has to be said yeah. for Antonio 
The Hater got a lot of credit for that save, but it was nothing special, really. It was a terrible, terrible finish. And what a game changer it turned out to be because we went straight up the other end and scored. So, you know, fine margins. Yeah. Uh, let, let's move on to refereeing. Uh, there's a lot to say. It was so terrible. Not even, not just Mike Dean, because we've come to expect that these days. Um, and it, it wasn't really a surprise that he, he stole the show. But it was also the, the linesman. I, th- I was trying to think of these. I think there's probably been four goals wrongly disallowed for us this season. And then four wrongly allowed. So you've got Zatans against Borough the other day. Um, there was one where Mata was clearly onside against Palace. That got disallowed. Um, and then Zlatan's offside was <laughs> so obviously offside. Um, and I, I genuinely did not, uh, so I was watching on the TV. I genuinely didn't celebrate the goal because I was just waiting for the, for the flag yeah, to come on. Yeah. And it, it took about six seconds, seven, <laughs> seven, eight seconds for me to think, oh, we're tuning up. That's how ridiculously obvious it was. And that's just the goals. That, that's four, that's eight goals wrongly decided. And that's, we're not even thinking about bookings, red cards, penalties. How many moments have been changed by the referee in a game? And that, that, the, the game, and this is also because of the, the festive fixture lineup, which I'll move on to a second. I need to rant about that as well. But the game was rubbish. If you were watching that game as a neutral, that was terrible. And there was no surprise it wasn't that high up on match today. The only reason it was good was because people got to debate over the red card. The actual game, the quality was rubbish, the defending was rubbish, the attacking was rubbish, and the excitement was rubbish, and that was because of the referee. Yeah, it just absolutely kills the game when you have a man sent off so early. I, I mean, at any time, really, but especially so early on in the game. And it was a shame, honestly, because it not only, obviously, did it just... It, it killed the game because West Ham has an attacking threat with them, obviously, a lot weaker, but it forces West Ham to just sit so deep and try and play out for a draw, which I don't blame them for doing at all. When you have when you have ten men against any team, that's obviously what they're going to look to do. But it just it it was it ruined the game. I actually felt for West Ham at the end of the game. Obviously, I was pleased that we got the win. But well, a I don't like to win like that. You know, it's all well and good getting a two 0 win, but I want to I want to win two 0 fairly. I don't I don't want to have a caveat next to every single win we have. Where, oh, there was this refereeing decision. It was this red card that she was leaving. It's, it just ruins the game. And B, for, for West Ham, I mean, that ruined any chance they had really of getting into the game. And it just ruins it as a spectacle. Um, Mike Dean, I mean, he, he's a special character. He really is. Um, it just seems like it's the Mike Dean show whenever he steps on the pitch. And that's, that's probably the nicest way I can put it about him this season. Um, and he, he's made some very good decisions this season. I actually, I actually commend him on some of the ones he's made from um, from corners. He's actually been one of the few referees that's enforced that rule of uh, being a lot harsher on people pulling and, and grabbing in the penalty area from corners. But other than that, he's made some shockers. And I think sometimes it's just all about him. You know, even he wants to be the centre of attention. I don't know. It just red cards completely ruined the game, and they that was a perfect example of why it was like it was terrible. Really. Sometimes he he looks for attention. I think I think that's being kind on him. He's just there's there needs to be some kind of punishment for them. not punishment, yeah. but just a, a way to control them, some accountability because it doesn't exist. And yeah. whether that comes in with every what every other country in the world does, and that's dropping referees from big games if they perform badly. And we we saw it with Lee Mason rules out that Zlatan goal unexplainably. 
like a, a horrendous decision, especially given his linesman didn't say anything about it. And he thought he had a better view than his linesman who was in line with the goal and he was behind Zlatan. So he makes that horrendous decision and then gets put on the City game. One of, one of the bigger games of the weekend in the Premier League. Keith Hackett was saying, drop him to the Championship. I agree with that. So you've got that option. Or you've got referees coming out after the game and doing what managers do and have a press conference. There can be rules about that. There can be lines which journalists aren't allowed to cross. It could even just be the referee giving a statement. It don't, you don't even have to ask some questions. It could just be them giving their side of the story. Or you have something like performance-related payment or something like that where if you make a couple of bad areas you get paid less I, I don't really care which way around it is but just I think I think the problem the problem is that the FA at the moment are trying to protect referees so much that it's got to the point where they're untouchable um like even even with I think West Ham are now appealing for Goody's red card and I'd be very surprised if he gets overturned because all Mike Dean has to say is well I thought his body was out, out of control I thought he used excessive force and that's it because it's so subjective but if one referee's opinion says one thing and someone else's says the other, they have to stick with what the original decision is. Um, personally, I'm, I'm definitely in favour of referees coming out and speaking after the game because I think even, even decisions where in law they get it right but it looks messy or it's very confusing for people to understand, it can just help people to, to, to know and hear from the referee, right, at this point I was thinking this, at this point I was thinking that. Say, for example, we talked about the um, Lee Mason for City games, the, uh, the goal decision system. Everyone after the game, and once they've looked at a lot of replays, could figure out that it wasn't a foul on Bravo because the goal decision system came in before that foul had taken place. But at the time, City fans were raging because it did look like a foul on Bravo, and it wasn't clear which one had actually crossed the line. So if Lee Mason was able to come out after the game, even have a press conference, or as you said, just put out a statement, it just clears all that up. And if they have put it wrong, they can hold their hand and say, I'm sorry, I'm trying to learn whatever. Can't can't disagree with that, and it the reason they're doing it is because so many it there's not enough referees, so that that's not in the Premier League. There's enough in the Premier League, but at grassroots level, no one wants to be a referee because why would you want to be a referee? So at my the club I coach at, we're now having to pay the refs ten pound more than last season because none of them want to ref our games because they get abused by parents. But that's why they're doing it. But this isn't protecting them. This is making it even worse because people are even more angry. Well, I, mean, I, I am a referee and, and you're right. It is, it is a problem because you, you, a lot of people, they don't... like. It's tough because players don't always understand what's going on in a referee's head. Um, and, I, and I can totally understand that because I, I, I was a player myself and I used to get frustrated with referees because you don't, you don't understand what they're thinking. And as a fan, I think if people can look to the Premier League and see referees, what they think in certain decisions, it can also then trickle down to other leagues where if, if a similar situation happens, people think, oh, he might have done this, he might have done that. I just, at the moment, referees, they're almost, they're protected to the level where it seems like they're above the players. Um, and they, they, they seem like they're aloof from, from the players. And I think that, that is the main problem because then it's, it's, there's a resentment from the players to the referees because the players do something bad. They either get suspended if they get a red card, they get dropped if they're not performing, they're not scoring enough goals. But referees, doesn't matter, it matters to them. Um, nothing's going to happen to them. Their decision will probably still stand. The only way any decision gets overturned or changed by the FA is if the referee says that he doesn't see it. So, in that sense, basically whatever a referee says goes, even if they make a shocking decision. And 
It just breaks resemblance to players to referees. Yep. And then they get even more angry. And moving on to another rant, the, the festive fixtures, what on earth are we doing? We put we put on all of these games every day, supposedly for entertainment. Yeah, all of them are poor quality because these players are playing three games in six days. Like what in six days? What do you expect? Uh, firstly, there's ridiculous scheduling. You see players like Norvite for West Ham on Monday. He was struggling because of how much he's played. Um, I think West Ham have had three and eight, uh, like United. And then secondly, you get. Uh, I think it's Southampton playing three games in six days. Chelsea playing three and ten. Like that—that's just not the three and ten is is a normal week for for a European club. Um, and then you get Southampton playing three and six, which definitely isn't a normal week. Um, the whole thing just makes no sense. And and then Jurgen Klopp said something quite funny the other day. It was uh, um can't remember the exact quote. You put all of these games on for entertainment, but then you don't let your own fans see them which was basically none of these games are on TV, despite all of them being on. And then you look at next year, right, you think this year's been ridiculous and all the games have been rubbish. Next year, December 16th, 20th, 23rd, 26th, 30th and New Year's Day. That's a sixth of the season in 16 days. I mean, that's just mad. Like, oh my god, the the quality of those games is going to be so bad. That's next season. I mean, and, and imagine if you get some big games in there. Imagine imagine if we had United-Liverpool. I remember a couple of seasons ago, you had Arsenal-Chelsea on the 23rd. I, w- I went to it, absolutely pouring, and it was nil-nil. And it was no surprise it was rubbish, it was because it was Christmas. Well, it, it happened to us last season as well, when we played, um, we played on the 26th and the 28th, and we played Spurs on the 28th. It was a shocking game. We drew nil nil because both teams were absolutely shattered. No one, no one could could play to anywhere near their normal level. And it's just it, it ruins the games for the fans. And I, I actually agree with you, Owen Popler, what you're saying because what is the point in putting all these games on when a they're not televised and b the quality and the standard is so so poor. Like, I don't think we need a winter break by any means, but there does need to be some level of thinking where you know what. Over the festive period, you don't 100% need games to be at the weekend. So why couldn't this year we play Boxing Day the 30th and then the 1st? Or Boxing Day the 29th and the 1st? Still would have been hectic, but then the FA get what they want. They get three games over the festive period after Christmas. And the players get a bit more of a rest. Why play the 26th and then, the, and then wait until the 31st? And then expect players to play on the 2nd. It's just, it's just ridiculous. I don't, I don't understand the thinking behind it because all it does is it spreads out that spreads out one set of games and closes up another. So it just means that the second lot of games, the standard is just ridiculously low. Yeah. Good good rant. Both done well there. Nice ranting. Right. Um not much youth news this week. In fact, before we move on to youth and loan roundups, uh we haven't spoken since the Middlesbrough game. Have you had a happier football moment than that since Fergie left? <laughs> I don't I don't think so, honestly. Um it was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, I just, when Martial scored, it was, it was, and it was really nice to feel this. It was not something I felt since, since Ferguson left. When Martial scored, I had total faith that we were going to go on and score the second. It just felt like one of those days that as soon as we scored the first, we were going to go ahead and score another one. And I've not felt like that since Ferguson left. And I think that's a testament to this team and what they're doing at the moment because I, I'm, I'm excited about this team. You know, we, we're not setting the world on fire, but the best run we've had in, was it five years, six years nearly? 
the best, certainly the best replacements Ferguson left. And I'm excited about what, what the rest of the season can hold. The only one I could think of was Olympiacos, the second leg where Van Persie scored a hat-trick oh, yeah. for the, the 3-0 to get us uh, to Bayern Munich in the quarter-final. That was, that was pretty good. But Actually, may, may, maybe Evra's goal in Bayern Munich. Yeah. Really Obviously, the night ended badly, but that moment... Those 22 seconds. They were they were brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, now now let's move on to youth news. Um, not much of it this week. Uh, no games for for either the under twenty threes or the under eighteens. But the older age group play Manchester City next Monday evening. I think the next game for our under eighteens is against Stoke on the fourteenth. So not this weekend, the week after. There is lots of loan news though. Dean Henderson made a third consecutive start for Grimsby Town in goal on what was it, January the second, conceding one in a three-one win against Carlisle United. This was a few hours after it was announced his loan was being extended by a month to the end of January. Um, it's all goalkeepers. Mourinho is faced with a lone headache for his young goalkeepers. Joel Pereira has been enjoying some success in Portugal with Belenenses. After initially being on the bench, he started the last eight league games for the Portuguese Liga side. Been earning plaudits in Portugal. He's been impressing there. But uh, Sam Johnston needs game time. He's our third choice goalkeeper at the moment through the academy. And Mourinho has granted him a loan move to Aston Villa under Steve Bruce, apparently. According to the Daily Mail, this will probably be confirmed soon. BBC also reporting this. But Mourinho still wants a third choice goalkeeper behind De Gea and Romero, meaning he's set to recall Pereira from Portugal. Uh, difficult situation. Kieran O'Hara is currently the under-23s goalkeeper alongside uh, the two under-18 goalkeepers, Max Johnston and Ilias Muta Sebtwai. Uh, that's Sam's brother, Max Johnston. Um, they're not ready for first-team football, but it's difficult because do you want to take that first-team chance for away from Pereira and Johnston? Anyway, we'll see what happens. I'd expect that Pereira will come back and Johnston will go on loan to Villa. Meanwhile, Adnan Yanazai had a great game for uh, for Sunderland as they drew 2-2 to Liverpool. Great game that. Combining brilliantly with Jermaine Defoe at times. He should have won a penalty as well, flicking the ball into the arm of a Liverpool defender. It wasn't given strangely, but a good game for him after a great assist on New Year's Eve as well for Defoe. Um, Cameron Borthwick-Jackson still not starting at all for Wolves, even in the in the busy festive period. And I'm hoping he's getting recalled, but it's already been three days now and that hasn't happened. So we can we can only hope at the moment. Anyway, we move on. FA Cup third round against Reading. Yap Stam's Reading. At the weekend, uh, they came from behind. I think it was 71 minutes. They were 2-0 down to Bristol City. And full time, they won 3-2. Uh, pretty impressive. Yap Stam's taken the... The United DNA into Reading, um, only in that aspect, is it? not not the rest. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm going to this game. I've taken my sister for her first her first trip to Old Trafford, um, well certainly to a game. Um, her first professional football game in England. Been to one in Costa Rica, but not in England. Um, prediction for this. I'm hoping for it as a win. Otherwise, it's going to be a rubbish day out. But anyway, prediction. Yeah, I think you've got to go for a win. Really, Reading are playing okay, but I mean. It's tough to see anything other than a win at home. FA Cup third round with the championship side. I'd be very surprised if we, if we aren't coming out on top. I expect a lot of changes, um, especially because we have, um, Hull in the EFL Cup semi-final, yeah. I believe, in midweek. So I expect a lot of changes and probably a strong team to come out to that, chasing our first week of silverware of the season. Yeah, I, 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 I would assume a very changed side. People, if Rooney, if he's back, I expect him to start. Um, hopefully maybe two or three goals in minutes. He can get some minutes because he hasn't really, yeah. really seen any time this season. Um, 
I just got a few bits of Laney to start. Uh, yeah, it should be should be an, an interesting watch to see how those players um, do, but I'm going to go for a, a two comfortable two 0 win. Yeah, that sounds that sounds nice. I'm going to go for three one. Um, I think I, I'm going to predict that Fellaini and Schweinsteiger are going to start for United, but what I'd like to see is some young players. Um, we haven't seen it in the League Cup, partly because we got City and partly just Mourinho hasn't done it, even when we played Northampton Town in, uh, what was it, the, the first first round that we were in. I'm I'm hoping that we see Twan Zeber, the under-23s captain, centre-back. Um, he's he Every time he plays for the under-23s, he's contender for man of the match. And Mourinho has name dropped him on multiple occasions. He he deserves a chance. I hope we see him on Saturday, the lunchtime kickoff. I think it's twelve thirty. Um, I hope we see Foster Mensa. Yeah, ridiculously, he's not getting a chance. He's not even being allowed to play in the under twenty threes. I don't know if it's allowed to play or not, but he's not playing in the under twenty threes. He's not going out on loan like this season. is wasting his career. Um, and we're unlikely to see Memphis, given Mourinho said he's asked to leave. Morgan Schneidlin on on that subject, uh, subject to a 19 million bid from Everton that's apparently rejected according to the Telegraph. Supposedly 18 million from West Brom too, which has also been rejected apparently. Yeah, and it, it's good we're holding out because yeah, I mean we sold what was it the other year we sold Evans, Van Persie, and Nani for less than 10 million combined. I mean that that's <laughs> that is astonishingly bad. I mean, that was the peak of Ed Woodward's awfulness. And gladly, yeah. he has come to his senses and the the, the King Woodward is, is shining. Anyway, back on to Reading. Hopefully, we see some young players. 3-1 is my prediction. 2-0 is your prediction. Let's move on to some questions. Um, first one. This came in between the Borough win and the West Ham win. So, after the Borough game, before the West Ham game. Uh, from Dan and Chater at Dan and Chater. Uh, he said, at this point in the season, what is United's best starting eleven? If you had one game to win, who starts? Uh, I'm going to very quickly run through mine off the top of my head. Um, it's, I, I could regret whatever I say here. I'm going to go De Gea, Valencia. At, at this point in the season, Jones, Rojo, um, Shaw, forget. Forget not playing Shaw. Shaw's brilliant. He should be starting. Uh, he's injured at the moment. Then Carrick, Herrera, um, Pogba, obviously. Uh, Mkhitaryan on the right, Martial on the left, and Zlatan up front. So leaving out Rooney, Rashford. Figures Rashford's. I'd leave Rashford out of the starting eleven, but he'd be my first sub at any point. Anyway, you have 25 seconds to go through your starting level. What would it be? There's there's two positions that I'm unsure of. Um, so I'm going De Gea, Valencia. Now this is where it becomes tough. I'm going by Jones. Feels wrong to leave Blind out, but I'm going to go sure. Pogba, oh, Carrick, Pogba, Herrera, Mkhitaryan, Martial, Ibrahimovic. It's just the centre-back and left-back that's, that's a struggle. Um, because it feels wrong to leave Blind out of that lineup. Because him and Bailly played so well together at the start of the season. Whenever he plays at left back, he's so good there as well. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think I'd stick with what I said. But Blind is very very unlucky to miss out, and he seems to come up come up so important in so many important moments for us. Um, 
But I'm going to leave him out on Fulton. And like I said, Rashford was definitely the first sub. Tough to leave Matter out as well because Matter oh, has scored. God, I, I, was think, I was thinking this the other day. Matter has scored so many important goals for us over the last couple of years. I was very harsh on Matter when he first came. I wasn't his biggest fan, but he's really won me over in the last year or so. He's he's scored so many important goals for us. He really has. Yeah, um, I think he's I think he's made or scored more goals. He's been involved in more goals since he came than any other United player except Rooney, um, which is perhaps a little depressing that Rooney has been slated so much and is still our most productive <laughs> player, but. Uh, it shows Matter's contribution since he came and consistency as well. He's never really had a really bad period. He's always been all right, um, and he's never and he's never really been hundred percent guaranteed a starting spot. Maybe apart from a few months under Van Hart. Yeah, that's true as well. Um, next question also from Dan. Honest assessment of Fellaini. I cringe when I see him in the starting eleven. How bad is he really? My very quick answer to that would be. He's good at what he does. It's what he does we don't like. It's not him we don't like. Um, same for you. Yeah, it, he he has a role that he can perform very well. I don't think we're putting him in that role. And in some ways, I feel a bit sorry for him at Man United because that just sets him up to be a scapegoat. Yeah, also, he is bad. Like, he's not a United player, but his mentality is brilliant. Yeah. Arguably one of the yeah. best in the squad to to survive three years of being hated by his own supporters which is yeah admirable in itself he's got the united mentality of i don't don't really care what anyone else says um next question from ryan fisher at our fisher sport where would he strengthen if anywhere in january midfield depth or center half with lindelof i'm not sure marina is going to sign anyone we definitely need another midfielder but whether that's going to come now or in in the summer um especially if carrick doesn't last another season um because if you think about it, once one of Carrick, Carrera and Pogba are injured, the only options you have left after for that third spot, given we're now playing with three-man midfield, is Schweinsteiger, Fellaini, Schneidlin and Schneidlin's not playing and this could leave. And then possibly really, but I mean, that's not something we really want to see at the moment either. Yeah, so in midfield I would, but there's no realistic options. Yeah. Centre-back. I don't, I don't I don't really think we need it. not in not in January anyway. I mean Lindelof I've not really seen much of him. What I have seen of him he looks okay. The the only reason I would consider buying a centre back would be Kabai's going off Afcon, but I mean I don't I, personally I think we have enough depth at centre back at the moment to, to get through that. We don't have Tuckwood, don't have any injuries there right now. Um Yeah, that's the thing. At the moment it looks fine. One injury uh, one long-term yeah. injury and then another little niggle in this busy period and suddenly think, it's looking I think it would awful. be bad if we had an injury now going into by leading to the African Cup of Nations because then that would be a problem. But I think for now we're okay. And once he wants Bailey comes back, that's another person that can play at centre-back. Um, I think it's, it's yeah. an area to look for in the summer, but not for now. Yeah, and we've also got Blind. And if we, re- if we really, really need it, then Michael Carrick. Um, yeah, and, and, and obviously, also yeah, got, people like Tuanzebe. Yeah, we've got Tuanzebe and Fossi Mensa, so yeah. it's, it's not desperate, but I take, I don't even know if I take him. I, I don't think it's that desperate. Jack, I think this one's for you, um, from Jack BHAFC, uh, at J underscore BHAFC. Ignoring that you're Buffon, if you were a United player, which United player would you be? Yeah, anyone that follows me on Twitter will have seen that my account keeps randomly tweeting, uh, Congratulations, you are Buffon. Uh, very weirdly. <laughs> Hopefully, I've figured out how to stop that earlier today. Um, 
I don't know who I would be though, honestly. Um, maybe Ibrahimovic, just because he keeps proving doubters wrong all the time. 35 to still be scoring this amount of goals. No. All right. Next question. Um, realistic goal slash assist target for Pogba this slash next season. A lot of slashes there from at 40 yard pass. Uh, Brad at 40 yard pass. I don't care how many goals or assists he gets as long as he's playing well and helping us win, to be honest. But if, if you're really going to push me for it, then you probably want 10 goals a season and 15 assists a season. There we go. Completely made up. But in all competitions, I take that. Yeah, I I, th- I think all competitions you you really you're looking for the the double figures in both. Yeah, so, um, that that's really where the, the kind of top level performers are at. Right. Um. That's all we have time for in series two, episode nineteen of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Uh, one year anniversary, Jack. Yeah. Thank you. Just thank you so much to everyone who's watched. I think like sixty six thousand views. Um. In a year. Yeah. Far exceeded anything that we we could have hoped for. Um. Here's to another brilliant year. Yeah, one year to the day since we started this podcast. If you're really, if you're listening on uh, release day, um, we have got what is it, sixty six thousand listens in forty eight episodes. So all we can say is um, thank you. Only seems like a couple of months since we started this, um, but United are much better. We started talking about a two one win against Swansea. That was on January third, two thousand sixteen, and we just lost four consecutive games in a row. <laughs> I think so I think the last month is the only time we've ever had consecutive episodes that have all been positive. <laughs> yeah, and and now we go into the FA Cup third round with seven consecutive wins in all competitions. Um, Things are looking up. Yeah, glory, glory, Man United. What else is there to say? <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>